evening, Doxa Church. It is great to see you guys today. You guys good? Oh, wow. Okay. Anybody good? Okay, okay you're good. Here, I'll, I'll help you out. I just had a realization this morning. Do you know what's happening in like just a couple weeks? Well, Christmas is happening. Something maybe even better. It's the end of 2020. Amen? I'm going to get the band up here. We're going to thank God and just head out, okay? So, um, guys, it's a, it's a great day to be together. If you're new to Doxa, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's honestly just an honor to have you part of the, the Doxa family um, today. For everybody joining online, we, we miss you a ton. Cannot wait for you to be back and have like the whole Doxa family back, but we're grateful for technology and that we can be gathered in this way. But here's where we're at. All right, over the past few months, we've been studying through the great book of Genesis, Right, this, this book of origins. We've been walking through kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we ended last week with one of the, probably arguably one of the most significant chapters in the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 12 with the story of Abraham. And as we wrapped it up last week with that, like it kind of just sets us up perfectly to get ready to celebrate Christmas. And so today we're officially switching gears for the next few weeks to prepare to celebrate Christmas, all right? And it's kind of like this, okay? You, you've all sang and heard like the, the famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And so many times like we just sing songs and we don't think about the words, but in that song that we all sing, there's these words that say, let every heart prepare him room. Doc, so this is in fact what we're gonna be doing through the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, all right? We're preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus. And the way that we're going to do that is what we do all the time, is we're just going to open up the Bible together, and we're going to look specifically over the next couple weeks at the very first Christmas, okay? And as we open up the Bible today, I'm praying that God would just help us, help us kind of move past all the fanfare, all the, the noise, the craziness that our culture can just offer us around this Christmas season, and really just kind of sit in, lean in, like press into what Christmas is all about, the message behind all the craziness, okay? So really my prayer is that we would be reminded of, or maybe some of you would come to the realization for the first time of the life-changing, like eternity-altering message of Christmas, which revolves around the man, Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth about Christmas, Doxa, all right? To understand Christmas is really to understand basic Christianity. It's to understand the gospel. And this is where we're gonna go. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find your place in Matthew chapter one, all right? And while you get there, I'll say this. We're gonna spend the next few weeks looking at ch uh, chapters one and two in the Gospel of Matthew at the very first Christmas. And as we get into this, okay, as you get there, you're gonna notice that, that Matthew doesn't start off his Gospel in the traditional way of like maybe we think about the Christmas story, but he starts off with a genealogy. Right, he doesn't start off with like all the well-known events that, that we're so familiar with, like the nativity scene, like with the manger and the shepherds and the star and the animals, like all that stuff. He doesn't start there, but he begins with a long list of names, all right, a genealogy. And as he does this, what he does is he, he introduces us to Jesus, what the Christmas story is all about, but he also introduces us to Jesus' family. And it's so interesting when you study Jesus' family, guys, we begin to understand more and more what Christmas is all about and why there is actually a reason to celebrate this season. Now, let me say this, if we're all honest, the genealogies in the Bible 
are the parts that, that we tend to get to and we read, and then we're like, what the heck is this about? Like, who are all these people and why are they in here, right? And rather than trying to like figure out what to do with it, we kind of just like flip the page, right? And skip it. Am I the only one? Shouldn't lie in church, okay? So, right, we, we tend to do this, right? But for me, you know, I, I learned about skipping these long lists of names the first time I ever went to a Bible study. All right, having not grown up in or around the church, I, I literally knew nothing about the Bible. I literally knew nothing about Jesus. And I remember like going to these, these Bible studies in like the, the locker room with my teammates and it was just like altogether new. It was really uncomfortable and awkward. Some of you, I know that you haven't like grown up in church and like this is some of your first times with a church experience and it's just, it's awkward at times, right? You're like, why are they standing? Why are they raising their hands? Like they're eating snacks. Like what, what, you know, what are they doing? And I remember like feeling that way. They would be like, turn to John 3.16. And I was like, all right, is that like a page number? Like, who's John? Is he still coming? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just didn't know, okay? But uh, after one of these Bible studies, I pulled aside the teammate that was leading it, and I said, hey, you just gave me a Bible. It's kind of intimidating. Like, where do I even start? And he told me, he was just like, okay, we'll just start in the Gospel of Matthew, right where we're starting today. He's like, it's all, it's, it's good. It's all about Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. It's a great place for you to start. And looking back, that would have been great advice if, if he would have stopped there, all right? Because what happened was, is I got to Matthew chapter one later that day, and I started reading. And I, honestly, the first thoughts I had in my head is like, man, I know Christians are weird, but the book that they like is just terrible, right? It's just like, what is this? It's like a phone book, you know, it's terrible. And so the next day, we're getting taped up for practice, and I, uh, I talk to this guy. I'm like, hey, man, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you, the book, your book that you really love is just awful, okay? And he was just like, oh, my gosh, I forgot to tell you. When you come to those long lists of names, just skip that part because it's really not relevant to us today. And so I did, and I'm, for years, I skipped over the genealogies. Now, here's the point, okay? This genealogy that we're going to look at today is absolutely critical to understanding why we celebrate Christmas. This genealogy is absolutely crucial for us to understand the gospel and it's really how we're to relate with God. And I wanna show you this today, okay? I geek out about this section of the Bible. One of the first sermons I ever preached was a really terrible one, but it was through this passage, right? And I titled it, Bad Girls of the Bible. And it'll make sense after I share this, okay? So. But I love this. This is one of the, like, the most life-changing passages that I have ever encountered in the Bible, and I, and I love it. So let's get into this. Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I'm just gonna stop here for a minute and say something in general about genealogies, and then we'll dive specifically into Jesus' genealogy here. But number one, here's what you need to know. Genealogies are like resumes, Okay, in antiquity, your resume, your value, your worth was rooted in your family, like your pedigree, your clan. It was all about the people that you were connected to, okay? And so a genealogy was in many ways your way of just kind of saying to the world, here's who I am, this is who I am. And in these days, in ancient times, like people would kind of mess around with their resume. They would mess around with their genealogy, much like we do today, right? You don't put things on your resume, right, that you're not really proud of, right? And so you just kind of leave that stuff out. And so people would do this with their genealogy, with their heritage. So for example, you look into history, you look at men like Herod the Great. And Herod the Great, he removes, he's removed certain people from his line because he didn't want people to know he was connected to them. 
All right, overall, the purpose of a genealogical resume was to impress people with the high quality of people that you were surrounded by and connected with. Now, what we're gonna see here is Matthew really does the very opposite thing with Jesus. That some of the people that we're gonna find in Jesus' genealogy, their, their stories are like staggering. They'll make you like, you're, they'll just like, are you serious? We're gonna see this, but what we're gonna find as we look at this family line is that there's incredible good news with this. So that's number one. Genealogies are like resumes. Number two, genealogies are history. Look back to verse one. I just wanna highlight real quick that Matthew doesn't begin the Christmas account in this story of Jesus by saying, once upon a time, right? Once upon a time is the way you start fairy tales, it's the way you start myths, it's the way The Hobbit starts, right? It's the way Star Wars, like, that's when you say once upon a time, you're basically saying, this really probably didn't happen, but you can just enjoy it as an entertaining story for you. But if you just look back, guys, this is not the kind of account that Matthew gives us. Or he says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what this means is that he is grounding who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in historical facts. Doc said, Jesus is not like a metaphor. He's real, this all happened. And this is so significant, I need to mention this because maybe you're, you're newer to doxa, you're newer to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, and you're having questions about the book you're holding in your hand or the, the book you're hearing me teach on right now. And you're like, what is this book? I want to tell you this, okay? When it comes to the Bible, the Bible is not primarily a spiritual book. It's not a philosophical book. It's not just like a helpful book. The Bible is a historical book. And so when we come to biblical Christmas texts like this that we're looking at today, these are accounts of what actually happened in human history. The Christmas account is ultimately telling us about who God is and what he has done for us at the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, which we celebrate on Christmas. Doxa is a gospel, meaning it's, it's good news. It's an announcement that we all need to hear. It's an announcement that we all need to be reminded of that God has come to us so that we can come to him. Now, with that said, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna go through the rest of this genealogy and I'm gonna highlight for you two men and two women who are significant in the story of Jesus. And I think every single one of us, as we learn about these, these people, are gonna find ourselves relating to one. So look back to verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. I want you to circle David in your Bible. We're gonna come back and visit him the son of Abraham. Circle Abraham because we're gonna talk about him as well. And after this, there's just like this long list of names, right? Does anybody struggle with reading out loud like long lists of names that are really hard to, you know, yeah? I, I'm, again, the only one, a couple people? Okay, so here, here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna let you in on a little bit of my life, okay? I have a few degrees, but I'm really not that smart, okay? So I've had to learn tricks, okay? And so Outside of me giving you Jesus today, this is maybe the best thing I'm gonna give you today, okay? So it's a trick that I've learned from preachers that I've heard preach this passage, but here's what you do. Because if you're ever in a place where you're reading the Bible out loud and you come to a word or a name, you can't pronounce two things. Read it quickly and read it confidently. And people are gonna be blown away how scholarly you are, okay? And I'm gonna demonstrate this for you right now, okay? So here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
And Judah, the father of Perez, and, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, and I just made that up, and you did not even know it. See, it works. The father of Nishan, Nishan, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. I want you to circle Rahab. We're going to talk about her. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Circle Ruth. We're going to circle back to her. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So this is not like a good thing, right? This is a bad thing, but we're going to press into this. We're going to come back. But just so you know, it's, it's not good. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Massa, the father of Amos, not to be mistaken with famous Amos, the father of those little delicious cookies. Amen? Praise God. Anybody? Okay. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetil, and Shetil, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Elakim, and Elakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eluid. And all you Mandalorian nerds are just waiting. You're like, Yes, Obi-Wan Kenobi is coming really quickly, right? And Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father, father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. There you go. So now that we are all on the same page, I'm gonna have the band come up and we'll pray and then get out. No, come, what, do we, what do we do with this, right? I mean, what do we do with this like long list of names? What can we possibly learn about Christmas here? What can we possibly learn that is good news about Jesus. Docs, I wanna show you, okay? Because as we look at Jesus' family line today, I'm gonna show you there's something so interesting here that's gonna help us understand why Christmas is such good news. Because if you consider Jesus, we're thinking about a perfect man, we're thinking about the God man, and it would seem to make sense that a perfect man would come from a perfect lineage of people. But I want you to know this. Just like every single one of our families, Jesus' family is really broken. It's really messy, it's really sinful, but in the midst of this brokenness, there's incredible, encouraging, life-changing good news for us, and this is what Christmas is all about. And Doxa, this is news that has changed my life, and it can and it will change yours today if you receive it. So let's just get into this a little bit and figure out a little bit about Jesus' family. Matthew starts off by telling us about David, right? Verses one and six. And David is just this massive figure in the Bible, right? He was chosen by God to be king. You know if you read the Bible, you remember this like crazy claim in the Old Testament that David was a man after God's own heart, right? This crazy claim. And then even more, there's prophecies in, in Micah chapter five, verse two, that God says that the savior from the city of David, Bethlehem, would come Jesus, who's the king of kings, the prince of peace, the Messiah, and so David is a guy, when we think about genealogies being a resume, he's a guy that you would definitely want part of your family line, right? Chosen by God, blessed by God, a king, a huge man of faith, a man after God's own heart. But in all of this, here's the thing about David. Even though he was a great historical king and he was a great man of faith, he was also a man of great sin who needed a savior. And here's what you need to know. All right, David shows us that even the seemingly great and godly among us are still sinners 
who desperately need the grace of God. Christian, I just need to talk to you for a minute and just let me remind you, we never grow past the gospel in our need for Jesus. We don't. And I know that there's a temptation for people that you, maybe you've grown up in the church and you've been around and you're like, I know the Christmas story and we can kind of like tune it out a little bit but, and think like, okay, I got the gospel, like give me something more. I want you just to know that we never grow past the gospel. We never grow past our need for Jesus. Never. It's not just the starting line, but it's the finish line. It's the race that we run, the track that we run on. It's everything. Jesus, it's always about Jesus. And Matthew shows us this by the way that he talks about David in this genealogy. Take a look at verse six. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Okay, so you pay attention to this and you're like, that doesn't seem like the way it works. No, it's not good, right? But here, to make a long story short, this is what we know, okay? In 2 Samuel, we kind of get like a flyover of, of David's life. And so when David was younger, he was on the run. He was a fugitive. He was running for his life from King Saul. A group of men went with David out into the wilderness. These are called, like, to protect him, right? These are called David's mighty men, all right? And they risked everything to help David. And one of these men was his friend Uriah, whom 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 39 says that Uriah David owed Uriah his life. This was a friend of David's. So years later, David becomes king. His friend Uriah is in David's army, and he's married to a woman named Bathsheba. And while Uriah was off fighting a battle for David, expanding David's kingdom, David caught a glimpse of Uriah's wife bathing. Okay, and this is one of those like truthful but awkward moments in the Bible. You're like, I don't know how that happened. Probably shouldn't think about it too much, right? But it just, it happened. I don't know how it went down, but he saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. He pursued her. He slept with her and he got her pregnant. And you know those times when like you really mess up. Like you know the time like when you're like, oh my gosh. And you start to like freak out. And you're trying to cover it up so no one finds out. Guys, this is what David does. He freaks out. He's trying to cover his tracks. And so what do you think? He thinks, he's like, I got this plan. I'm going to kill my friend Uriah. He basically sets up a moment in battle where Uriah is killed by his enemy. And so the man who is chosen by God, a man who is after God's own heart, a great man of faith, is also a murderer and an adulterer. Does that seem off to anybody? Right? I mean, it seems to like just violate something within us. It doesn't like make sense. Like you have the thought of like, he's supposed to be like a godly guy. Like how could he do that? And maybe you even have that perception of like Christians of like, they say they're a Christian. Like how could they even come close? Why would they do that? Because here's the point. Even though David was a great man of faith, a godly man, he still continually needed the grace of God. And even as we consider David's great sin, what I love is that we see that God's grace is even greater. And I think this is part of the reason why David is mentioned here. I just need you to see this, that this is true of all of us. Every single one of our lives is affected and impacted by sin. Some of us have cheated like David. Some of us have slept around and done a bunch of like wicked things. Some of us are liars. Some of us are addicts. Some of us are just fill in the blank. We all have our blank filled in with something. Some of us more than others. We're broken. But I want you to know this. With Jesus, there's hope for anyone. 
that no one is too far gone, no one has done too much, and David's story stands out as evidence to this. The fact that I'm on this stage right now is evidence to every single one of you of the redemptive work and the hope of Jesus. David's story reminds us that no matter how great and godly we may appear, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how smart you think you are and how much of the Bible you think you know, no matter how much you love Jesus, all of us are still broken and we're still sinful. And you might even look at me and you're like, wow, there's Rob, he's a pastor, just a great, good, godly man. Here's what I'll tell you. Rob Warren is just as broken and sinful as the next guy. Maybe even more so because I know the depths of my thoughts and how wicked my thoughts could be. But this is all of our stories. Sinners in need of a savior, every single one of us. And no amount of good or greatness that comes from your life will ever be able to fix your sin problem. It really won't. It's only the grace of God. And this is what Christmas reminds us of, that God had to come for us. He had to make a way for us because we can't do it on our own. And it's only through Jesus that we can be with God. This is the gospel. That because of sin in all of our lives, like we're not here with God, we're separated. And if this goes on forever and we die, this is the eternal, terrible separation from God, which is just like a, the terrible conscious reality of hell. But Christmas reminds us that even in the midst of that separation, God stepped into the human equation. In Jesus, he lived a life that we couldn't live and he died for our sin and through his resurrection, he achieved for us the thing that we could never get on our own, which is forgiveness of sin and back to a relationship with God. This is the gospel. This is what Christmas is all about. Now, the genealogy then moves on to a man named Abraham, okay? If you look back to verses one and two, you'll see his name. Now, just like David, as we consider Abraham, we're talking about a huge figure, not only in just like the Bible, but like throughout the history of the world. Specifically, when you look at the Bible, I mean, Abraham's name is used over 300 times. And if you were to talk to a Jew, you would ask them about Abraham, and they would say that he is like the father of their faith. And so we're talking about a massive man in the history of the world, a big deal. Now, here's the super interesting part about Abraham, okay? We talked about him last week in Genesis chapter 12, right? God kind of breaks in and says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. But here's what you need to know about Abraham, when God came to Abraham, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even a godly man. All right, in fact, it's quite the opposite. We see in the Bible that Abraham likely came from a place called Babylon, which in many ways were regarded as like enemies of God and his people. They didn't love God, they didn't worship God, they didn't follow him at all. And so here what you have with Abraham is a guy from a group of people who cared nothing about God, didn't love him, wasn't seeking after him, but in the midst of this, God was seeking after him. And I need you to see this, all right? Because even though Abraham didn't love God, God loved him. Even though Abraham wasn't looking for God, God was looking for him. And in this, Doxa, we see that God's love is not contingent on belief or behavior. You just need to know this. Like some of you, you, you grew up in like very legalistic churches that taught you this. And, and maybe you have the thought in your head and you've, you've heard this from like other Christians that are just not very good at teaching what the Bible says and they say, well, if you behave like this, if you do well, then God will love you. 
But if you don't, if you mess up, you do too many stupid things, I'm sorry, you're cut off. This is not what the Bible teaches. And even more, I'd argue that this is the view of, of every other religion in the world, that every other religion, apart from Christianity, will tell you, if you live like this, God will accept you and bless you. Christianity says, God says, no, 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 no. God loves you, period. Accept that love. Let him save you by that love, and he will change you by that love. This is the gospel. Christmas begs us to reconsider this, to come to this, accept this news. And in Genesis chapter 12, God breaks into Abraham's life, much like he's broken into many of our lives today, and he says, I love you. Apart from anything that you've done, apart from what you believe, I love you. And he says, I wanna be your God. I wanna save your life. I wanna use you in crazy ways to change everything. And God tells him that he's gonna have a son and that through him would come a descendant who would be the savior of the world, Jesus. Now here's what I want you to see. Abraham was, was much like me and many of you who for the longest time cared nothing about God. Right? But despite this, God cared for him and just radically redirected his life. And even after coming to God in faith, I love that the Bible is so incredibly honest to show us that he doesn't become perfect. Right? Do you guys know, you guys recognize that? Like, as Christians, we're not perfect. Faith doesn't make us perfect and sinless. Faith saves us from sin. No one is perfect. The Christian life is, is not about you being perfect. It's about you progressing, walking with Jesus every step of the day and just working with him and allowing him to work on you to become like him. But Abraham does not become perfect. Instead, he becomes forgiven and redeemed and he continually needs the grace of God throughout his life because he messes up in some major nasty ways. Maybe you can relate to this. I know I certainly can as I think about my walk with God. Not the man I wanna be, but redeemed and saved. But when I consider Abraham, I think of many of us, that much like Abraham, some of you here today, you're, you're kind of walking through life with little care or regard for God. And some of you are doing this intentionally, some of you are just doing it ignorantly, like you just don't know, you've never heard any of this. But God has brought you here today. He continues to bring you back. And maybe you're beginning to sense him doing something in your life. Just like Abraham did. And God is just waiting for you to respond in faith like Abraham did so he can show you his love, so he can take your sin, so he can bring you into his family and change the course of your life for eternity. This is what God wants for you. This is why he keeps bringing you here so you can respond like Abraham. The question is, is will you be like Abraham and respond to God working in your life? Or will you remain outside of the family of God? Because this is a huge huge question. Now let's keep going. All right, those are some of the men, but Matthew also mentions a handful of women. And, and for us today in Madison, Wisconsin in 2020, this doesn't seem like unusual, but you just have to understand in ancient patriarchal societies, a woman was virtually never named in a genealogy. Matthew gives us five. All right, this was radical, guys, completely radical in these days because women were seen as property, not persons. They were seen as, as less than like, kind of just like outsiders, okay? But here, 
they're listed in Jesus' family. And even more, if you, if you look at the nature of these women and the background of these women, many of them were not Jews. The Jews would look at these women as, as unclean and they weren't welcome to worship in the temple. And so what we have here in Jesus' genealogy is not only gender outsiders, but we have racial outsiders. But once again, they're right here in Jesus' family. And Doxa, I just need you to hear this. There is room for anyone in Jesus' family because Jesus loves everyone. And this is who we seek to be as a church. The gospel is good news for all people. This is how we started Doxa two years ago, going through the uh, gospel of Luke. And that was, you heard us say it every single day. Good news for all people. And this is who we strive to be as a church. It's not just like a little holy club where we're trying to get everybody who looks like us and does the same thing. It's like, no, God loves all the people of our city, all the different unique types of people, people who don't don't look like you, they don't act like you, they don't have as much money as you. And he says, I love them. You go love them, like me. Well, one of the women we see is a girl named Rahab, okay? Mentioned in verse five, if you look back. And as you study the Bible, Rahab is mentioned about eight times, I think eight times, six of those times that she's mentioned, it's mentioned with a little word attached. You know what the word is? Prostitute, right? So it's not just like, oh, there's Rahab. It's like, oh, there's Rahab the prostitute. Kind of a bummer if you're Rahab, right? But this is her. And not only that, Rahab had another strike against her because she wasn't just a prostitute, but she was also a Canaanite, right? Which was a, a type of person who was really just an enemy of God's people. And so needless to say, the Jews of this time that Matthew is writing to, they're not big Rahab fans, okay? Prostitute, Canaanite, not good. And what happens is this, all right, in Joshua chapter two, we see that some Jews come to her town and they're being hunted down by the Canaanite people and their lives are in danger, okay? And somehow, these Jews run into Rahab, she hides them, she lies to the soldiers that are looking for them and she saves their lives. So if you had to sum up who Rahab is, she's a lying pagan prostitute who was despised by most everyone. But here's the great part, right? With God, there's always a great part. As she meets some of God's people, she comes to faith and her life is just completely changed. And through her story, guys, here's what we learn. Docs are the primary way that God reveals himself to us in the Bible. Is that a father? All right, he could have chosen to reveal himself in any specific way, but he chose father to show us something about how he cares for us, how we relate to him. And what we learn by looking at Rahab is that God is a good father who is willing to adopt anyone into his family. And this is so critical, absolutely essential for us to know that someone in here needs to hear this today. That God is so good that he's willing to look at even the most jacked up person, the most hot mess of a person, the most sinful person and say, I love you. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I have done for you. Because this is Christmas. This is what it's all about. And so maybe you're here today and you say, you don't really know my story though. Like I've done some horrible things. I got a really bad, nasty background. I would look at you and I would say, cool man, I think you're gonna fit in here. Because that's all of our stories too. Broken, sinful, but saved. There's room for you in Jesus' family, amen? And finally, the last person I wanna mention is a woman in verse five named Ruth. 
right? And, and Ruth's story, you guys, is just awesome. If you're familiar with her story in the Bible, it's one of the most beautiful redemption stories, and she's probably one of the most phenomenal women in all of Scripture. But while she was a great woman, Ruth had like a really bad background, right? She, Ruth was from a line of people called the Moabites. And the Moabites can trace their lineage all the way back to a guy named Lot who just has a really messed up story. But here's what happened, okay? In Genesis chapter 19, we see that Lot and his daughters were hiding. They were afraid of being killed. There was a lot of stuff going on. And with this, they isolated themselves in a cave somewhere. Okay, so they're living in this cave and the daughters are growing older and they were getting worried that they're not gonna be able to have kids. This was a big deal for them. And so they devise up a plan. You can see the daughters kind of sitting off in the side of the cave and said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get dad drunk and then we're gonna have sex with him so we can get pregnant and have our dad's babies. And this is what happens. And they become the first of the Moabites. Right, so clearly a little dysfunction here, right? Like back in the day, this would have been a great reality TV show. Dr. Phil would have been all over this, okay? It would have been whatever. But just a messy, messy family. Really messed up. This is where Ruth comes from. But here's what happens, all right? Some of God's people end up living near her in the Moabites. And as Ruth and God's people interact and become friends, she comes to faith. She starts following God and her family origin, which just marked her as disgusting and undesirable and just an outsider, gets erased and she enters into the family of God, a new person. And as her story goes, she marries a guy named Boaz and we learn that she gives birth to a son and she becomes King David's great grandma. I mean, do you love this story, right? I mean, this is just like a beautiful story of redemption, that here's a woman that just had a hard life born into a messed up situation, has a jacked up background. She's despised and rejected by almost everybody around her, but then she meets God, and he changes her identity completely, making her new. This is what God does. This is what the Apostle Paul says in, in first, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says that if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old has gone, the new has come. He makes us new, so it's not so much about what I think about myself or what somebody else says about me or how they label me or what they, it's about what God says, because now I'm a child of the king. This is Christmas. This is the gospel. So let's just pause and apply Matthew 1. All right, what, is this, what does this mean for us? Doc, so there's like a really powerful lesson to be learned about Jesus and his family right now. See, like the genealogy of Jesus, the family and the kingdom of Jesus will be filled with broken, messed up people. And here's what that means for, for you and I today. Maybe you have like a messed up story. Maybe you have like a really shame-filled past. Like maybe you're the sort of person that no one would ever expect. Maybe you're from like a little podunk town in northern Wisconsin that no one knows how to pronounce, right? Good. If that's you, good. Because if you are a messed up nobody, you are exactly the sort of person who could make part of Jesus' family line. The sort of people that Jesus is inviting right now into his family are a lot like the people part of the family line in the past. And I'll even say this, you being here is a reminder of your invitation into Jesus' family. That is ultimately why you are here. 
God is inviting you. He's pursuing you, just like he did to Abraham. And he's inviting you into his family. This is why Jesus came, to invite you and to make a way for you into the family of God. And Christian, let me just speak to you, okay? The Christmas message is not only to remind you of what Jesus has done for you, but to remind you of what God wants to do through you. See, Jesus has saved you to continue what he started, inviting people to know and experience the love of Jesus. This is what it's all about. And so, yes, we, we hear this message of redemption and we should be reminded in our hearts and our affections should be stirred to love him more. But then we also remember that we're surrounded by millions of people that don't know Jesus. They don't know the love of the Father. They don't, they're not in the family. And we go with Jesus and like Jesus for the sake of the world because Jesus loves people. Like, this is what it's all about, right? Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. Guys, this is it. So here's how I'll end. All right, Christmas is a reminder that Jesus was born for you. He lived for you, he died for you, he raised for you, and he reigns for you. And I think like there's probably a possibility that there could be somebody still in this room having a misunderstanding about what it means to come to the family of God and to live in the family of God. And that's not because anybody's stupid, it's just because like we as humans, we, we can't seem to fathom being welcomed in by a perfect and holy God. Like it just doesn't make sense to us. And so what we've done is we, we try and reconcile our lack of understanding and the only thing that seems to make sense is that we have to be perfect like God in order to get into his family. And this is just not true. And not only is it not true, but it keeps many people away from God because deep down we know that we cannot be good enough for God. Every single one of us, we know that. And so we have the thought of like, why should I even try? This, I'm just not gonna be around that. So I want you to think of it like this, okay? Many people view coming to the family of God like going to a job interview, right? That it's all about looking good and acting a certain way, but Matthew shows us by looking at these people that it's not like that. Hear me on this, Doxa. Coming to Jesus' family is like going to the doctor's office, not a job interview. Right, many people approach coming to Jesus and his family as like, okay, job interview, okay. I'm all buckened up, like, okay. Here's, here's all my good stuff that I did. I'm really good at this, right? You don't go into your job interview and be like, here's all my bad stuff. And you're like, my, my downfall is I work too hard, right? And so blah, blah, You know, and you just put yourself, your best foot forward and you say, look how great I am. We don't do, that's not how you come to the family of God. It's about going to the doctor's office. You go into a doctor's office and the doctor comes in and says, what's wrong? You don't just sit there and be like, nothing, I feel fine. Like, just wanted to come say, hey, I met my deductible, right? You don't, you don't, no. You come and you say, here's what's wrong. I got this thing, it's itching, it's changing colors, it's oozing, right? And like, can you help me? And the doctor's like, totally, I got you. This is what it's about. We come to Jesus with our brokenness, with our sin, knowing that he is a good physician, he is the savior, he is the one that can fix us, to redeem us, to save us. This is the invitation. Come to Jesus today. The door is open. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you gave us the Bible and that it's so honest to show us the type of people that make up your family. God, I'm thankful that you... Uh, 
You don't come and like look for perfect people. You come and you look for broken people and say, I'm the perfect one. And God, I'm thankful that you, you broke into my life. I remember sitting in my room on 226 North Enterprise in Bowling Green, Ohio, when I finally understood the gospel of Jesus. And you met me there as I came to you and cried out to you and said, God, will you take my sin? surrounded by beer cans and drug paraphernalia. You met me, you saved me, you redeemed me. God, thank you for, for doing that for me. Thank you for loving me. And I pray that for every Christian in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would just remind us of when the gospel became clear. Would you remind us of the feeling that we had when we heard the good news and accepted the good news that God came for us? that we have salvation now, and we don't have to fear sin and death and hell, but we have you. Would you recall that to our memory even now as we pray? And Father, even for those that are in this room that, that haven't taken a step into your family yet, but are kind of standing outside, looking in on the blessings, would you help them to see that the door is open and that your hand is out and the invitation is there. And would you give them the gift of faith that they would walk through that door into your family and you could save them from their sin and make them your kid. God, we, we love you. Thank you for coming to save us. God, our response is that we just wanna to come to you with everything in our life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.